This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Crunch Time. Well, the Bombers have cleaned house this week, but has every room had the pressure hose treatment or are there still some deep cleaning to come? And there's a groundswell of support for Ross to be the boss of the Bombers. But does the man himself want the top job? I just hope the club, the people outside the club, inside the club, just get behind the club and move forward. Support the next coach, support Dave as president, support the executive, uh, support the playing group. Because we all want what's right. We all want success for the Essendon Football Club. I'm very wary and I'm very cautious of anything to do with AFL senior coaching. And that's how I sit here. How anyone could mitigate that for me, I don't even know. And is there any greater conversation starter in a year of footy than the All-Australian team each and every year? Our experts will give their view, run the rule over it and answer the question, does the captain have to be a captain? I've always uh, looked at the captain of the All-Australian side and and, uh, and thought, um, you know, firstly, for them to make it in the side is an honour, but then the word that comes to mind is just it's, it's cool to, to be a part of. It's an elite um, elite side, so, um, yeah, very, very proud, very proud. I walked away by going, that is a great team, and I could wheel that team out in the parks. So the other criticism we'll get to, is it a team that's picked to play? I just... I could explain to you how this team could play so easily and the versatility that this team has. And Brisbane Lions captain Dane Zorka, after a week-long pile-on, speaks out not to absolve himself or to make excuses about what he said wrongly to Harrison Petty, but to provide context on what happened in the lead-up to the moment he says he wishes he could take back. And staying in southeast Queensland, the Suns chairman, Tony Cochran, ruse the loss, or the pending loss, of Isaac Rankin. That and a whole lot more to discuss on this pre-finals by edition of Crunch Time. I guess for me, I just sort of want to get across that it was a, it was an intense game. Um, I just reckon it's really important that um, Lions fans and fans in general probably um, understand that it, it wasn't just an unprovoked sledge and it wasn't set in isolation. There's a lot of very disappointed people up here and I know a lot of these uh, fellow playing mates uh, all feel that they're all in this together and they felt that um, he was in this with them and would go forward with them. So, um, yeah, there you go. Money talks, huh? Somebody else with a big wallet comes along and makes it pretty hard.
Ah, yes, indeed. Welcome to Crunch Time. I hope you're enjoying your Saturday morning, however you're putting it in, wherever you're putting it in. It is great to have your company right around the country on the SEN network, and there is so much to talk about. Sam Hargraves, I've got the red sub vest taken off, the green vest on, Jared Waitley having a much-needed break because he has been on fire lately, and uh, he'll be back bigger and better than ever with a vengeance for finals, which are just around the corner. I'm joined by a couple of greats, including the five-time day, five-time night, Dermot Brereton. Hello, Dan. Good morning, Sammy. Yeah, looking forward to hooking into a few issues this morning. And good morning to the great Leon Cameron. Dermot, how are you? Very Sam? V- Leon, hello. Uh, hey, there's... um. It's interesting, isn't it, this pre-finals buy, and we'll get your view from both of you, how you feel about it. Tim Watson left us in no uncertain terms what he thought of the pre-finals buy during the week. Safe to say the Wisp is not a fan, but what it does do is it allows us to take stock of a year, and we've had awards night uh, on, uh, AFL awards night on Wednesday night, and we'll go through the winners of that, and we'll speak about everyone's favourite topic, the All-Australian side as well. But we've got clear air for the first time for AFLW. Season 7 started in earnest, and for the first time, uh, the the anticipation about this season only rivals that of the first season because the competition is whole. Every uh, one of the 18 teams represented by a women's team. So uh, Pies won on Friday night just to continue piling it on the Blues. Uh, at the Melbourne uh, just got a little bit back from the grand final loss against Adelaide last year. And, of course, today we're so excited for Essendon, Hawthorne, Marvel Stadium. Beck Goddard Derm is channeling a bit of you, <laughs> wants to bring a bag of sand to pour out in the rooms She's to good. draw the line. She is good. Yeah, You know what? I... I, I like watching the, the women's sport. It, it's it's contest footy. Um, and I think they've improved dramatically over the last six mm. years. It's getting better each year. Uh, and for somebody who, I won't say I was a critic of it, but I just didn't warm to it because of the standard. It's got so much better. The issue now will be, can they maintain that standard when they've diluted the player pool? Mm. But one thing is for sure, there were a lot of people like me who didn't have their loved team represented. Mm. We do now. So I've already watched two games to see <laughs> what the opposition standard is like. So it's absorbed me into it even further. So one, the two things for me is, yeah, it's great to have your club represented and we all want them to do really well. Uh, and and can they hold that standard, which the girls who are coming through right now, uh, when it started and they were aspiring, they were 12. So they've had a big football background uh, serving them well when they get to this level now. So, yeah, fingers crossed the standard stays pretty good. Leon, the, the pre-finals by, it, there's still so much for us to talk about. So whether you're for or against it, it doesn't leave us uh, any lighter on uh, for footy to sink our teeth into. Oh, look, it's just another great talking point, I suppose, Sam. I mean, I... I when I walked in uh, earlier here in the studio in Sydney, we were just talking about it. Uh, a young fella let me in. He said, I don't know why you have a pre-finals buy. What is there something wrong? And I said, look, the first year we had it in 16, um, uh, it worked uh, probably against us because we had one game in four weeks at the Giants. And then we played a, a souped up Western Bulldog side that, you know, clearly knocked us off by a goal in that, you know, that uh, history making uh, prelim final. But then the next three years after that, we we needed it because we, by the time we got to round 23, we were banged up. Um, There was a lot of players uh, needed a week off and then it helped us win the first week of the final. So I've had some great experiences and some bad experiences. So it's like anything, there's probably 50-50 discussion 
um, for a lot of people, but uh, the supporters are the ones that probably suffer the most because they want it to probably roll on and on and on. Like we're, uh, we've seen such a fantastic home and away season, and they don't want to have a break for a week. I, I'm, I'm, I don't like it. I like the fact that a banged up team goes into the finals and produces some miraculous deeds. I like the fact that you have 22 games to actually ascertain who is the number one seed. And the number one seed should get an unequivocal lead on the others, a, an advantage mm. for being the best team for 22 rounds. Yep. I, I, so, I think that's – that. to me, that's th- – this game is an endurance – you know, it's explosive at times. But it, it, it's an endurance season, and, and it takes away a bit of that. Two things on that, Derm. So – would you then uh, replicate last year and have a buy after the prelim or just no? Finals starts a week straight after the uh, home and away and you just go and it's the last team standing. No buy at all. Bang. And second, Bang yes, right through, you, Leon. Yep, yep. Okay. And yep. then secondly, uh, just during the week when Chris Scott was sort of asked about, we don't, you know, do we celebrate the side that finishes on top enough like other so um, sports. sports in the world. Um, what's your opinion on that? Should we be celebrating Geelong a little bit more and should there be a bit more reward for finishing on top? Yeah, well, we do actually have an award for for that. But um, what's it? The Dr. McClellan, I think they still call it that, who finishes uh, top on the home and away season. So, well, that's, that's to Leon's point. The fact yeah, that we're yeah. sort of scratching our heads going, what's yeah. that called again? Probably <laughs> helps his point. So should, should, it be a mon- should there be a monetary award? Derm should they like should the side that finish on top go okay like Premier they League England yeah absolutely there's uh, there's a million dollars when the A League have the Premier's plate and then they have the the, the Premiership yeah yeah um, I don't know how you you, you 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 devise that that sort of reward for finishing on top. I, the reward for us, we, we love – Australians are used to a finals season and there's there's been some teams in history which suggest that they were the best team for the season and not the best team in the finals and they lose. And that's part – to me, that's part of the Australian psyche is the, the marathon of mm. the season. It's it's an endurance race. It, it is a, it's like the marathon. Finals time is when you enter the arena for your, 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 your last couple of laps – and somebody sprints for home. You you can save yourself up if you bank enough wins and the likes. Uh, and I think Australians got their head around that. I think the advantage for finishing on top is that you can start playing and tailoring the game time into your players if you are like Geelong uh, as they come to the end of the 22 rounds, so 23 now, but... Yeah, so but, I think the advantage is there to win the premiership, and that, and that's what we love. We remember premiers. We don't really remember who finished on top. Minor premiers, yeah. yeah. And and I think the issue when it came in to Vogue was trying to protect the integrity of the season. And when I think it was Ross Lyon for Fremantle rested about half the side, but and so I understand that part of it, and I also understand the want as a fan to know well if someone's got a niggle and they're more of a chance to play and they're an A grader in the comp, I want to see the best players playing as often as possible. If this helps that happen, then I, I can get on board with that. But we've seen Geelong through the year rest players anyway, yeah. so it, it's it's. So I would say to you, Sam, the integrity, Ross Lyon, you said to protect the integrity of the game. Was there any integrity lost? 
That's a great he question. Just, he just didn't play his best players because he yep. wanted to give them an advantage and rest them. But for, So if you're the side that – and I can't remember the result of that game, and, Leon, you might be able to, but if it was from a team that were uh, down the, the, the bottom of the ladder – um, that has a ramification on uh, ladder positions, draft so order. So be it. I, I just reckon so be it. That's that's the advantage mm. of being brilliant for twenty one games for the season. We yeah, pick- look, it's. I think for for remembering Sam, I think they might have got beaten. Mm. I'm just a hundred. I think, I think they, they, they did. Yeah. yeah, And then they, they come out and won the first final, and um, there was a lot of talk about that. Uh, uh, clearly when they won that first final. But it's sort of like um, if you have the luxury of managing your players, it's a real intriguing discussion because mm. uh, if you've earned the right, okay, we're, we're going to finish on top or we're locked away into second spot or we can't move. And I've got seven or eight players that are really hurting here at the moment um, and they they could do uh, benefit from a week off. Instead of having an official week off like Derm, you've just said that you probably don't like it and Tim Watson – probably expressed his thoughts on that as well. Um, can we just do it naturally and allow the AFL clubs to do that in a way? Now, the hardest thing uh, you've got with that is then, damn, what is integrity? Because there's a lot of wages and a lot of money bet on football these days and how does that sit on another level, yeah, if you know what I mean? they declared their hand early. We, we're going to rest some players this mm. week. So mm. they... They earned the right in the marathon season to go to that extent and rest those players. And the verification of that was they had a rip at it the next week and they won their final. Mm. Let's get into the agenda items for the week. Uh, it's a good start. I'm liking what we're putting out already, um, if I could say so myself. <laughs> so Essendon um, have given us a lot of fodder this week. Jared Waitley referred to what had been going on at Essendon this week as the red and black wedding. If you know your Game of Thrones... Um, <laughs> It started Sunday, so Dave Barham ends up being the figure of Ruse Bolton, or maybe even uh, Joffrey Baratheon. Uh, the red and black wedding, if you know your Game of Thrones, uh, pretty much the whole Stark family was wiped out. Uh, and it, and but it needed it needed a turncoat. It needed someone to cross the aisle, uh, and that was Walter Frey, who, in this analogy, I'm just extrapolating Jared's, is Kevin Sheedy. So, <laughs> so we make light, but Sunday, Ben Rutten finally, um, after we all would agree, was pretty deplorable treatment. Uh, the way that he was left hanging. He was officially sacked on Sunday. On Monday, Xavier Campbell, the CEO, resigned. Simon Madden and Paul Brasher announced their resignation from the board. At the end of the year, we're told that Finance Director Peter Allen will go and Sean Wellman will stay on until such time as they find uh, another football director. There's an external review coming. So the, the thought is that maybe, as I said in the opener, that the clean ha- the, the house, you know, the, the, they've cleaned house, but there's still a couple of rooms that are left to have the uh, high-pressure hose taken to them. Yeah, you'd think that what you'd like to see is that they have a plan and to the on the back of the failed Alistair Clarkson attempt, it seems like they only had one plan and everything else is made up on the run thereafter. I'm sure that's not the case if you were allowed to uh, delve deeper into it. But, yeah, and none of us liked what happened to Brett uh, Ben Rutten. But the one thing I'd go back and, and be on Essendon's side is you have the right to try and make your club the best it can possibly be. Now, that they handled it poorly, but I'm sure their, their, their ultimate goal, their end game, is to make that club better. Now, that's a sweeping statement and it, it covers all manner of areas. Um, but I, I, the one thing I feel for them now is 
the worst is done. People have lost their jobs. Mm. Um, people have left uh, without any glorious exit, you know, following them uh, and fanfare. Uh, so I think all the bloodletting's been done. Now they've got to make sure they get the decisions right. Mm. But there is that external review and, and, the, and the, the talk yeah, reviews, around. No, every, reviews, uh, uh, the, the word review is for your constituents. It's for your members. <laughs> it's just to go, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, and, and the, the football public now actually has jumped on board. This yeah. is terrible. We need a review. Because everybody who's had a real review in the past has come out and gone exceptionally well the following season. So they think it's the panacea. It's it's a lot of the time it's just rhetoric it's not a real yeah. review it's just doing what they should be doing you know making a, a micro assessments and macro assessments on the run leon do you agree that, that, that for the people who were um who were i suppose in the faction that said the internal review is fine we back in ben rutten those are the people that have said okay well we'll we'll bow out that how important do you believe that was to what they'll need to do moving forward so that there aren't that clearly divided and those clearly defined factions uh, moving forward i think the the word total alignment is very easy to say it takes about a quarter of a second but it is absolutely the hardest thing to do in any organisation, let alone a football club, when you've got passion, you've got people coming from all different angles. And and in fairness to the people that have stepped down, and, and you know, Derm, you would have played against Simon Madden. Simon Madden would have been there for the Essendon Football Club. He's not there for any other reason. So if he's a Ben Rutten supporter, and, and, and it seems like that was the case, as an example, then he's thinking, well, Maybe my time's up. I've been for nine years. I'm a custodian of the footy club. I move on and someone else comes in. The, the challenge, Sam, is to make sure that the alignment is really, really strong mm. as they run through um, side by side uh, the review of the place. And, and I'm with Derm uh, on terms of reviews. Um, normally, nine times out of ten, the reviews um, will be tick, tick, tick. Yeah, there might be a couple of little minor things here. Fix that. Uh, let's add another person to your footy program. Um, we're down on development. We'll bring in this person. The review with this will be really interesting because there's still talk about does there need to be one or two people exited from the football club? So this is going to be very, very interesting to see what happens over the next four or five weeks. Um you know, a lot of these people that have stepped down have probably stepped down on their own accord because of the rutten factor. So with the rutten factor, before we move to what might be uh, on the horizon for Essendon, Leon, I might just throw this to you as the, as the former coach uh, amongst us. Were you a bit surprised by, I suppose, the lack of really strong condemnation from the AFL Coach Association. Alistair Nicholson was on SEN, said, look, it wasn't ideal and we, we want to get around Ben and make sure that he has everything he needs. But the, the strong condemnation has come and continues to come from fellow coaches about the treatment of Ben Rutten. Are you surprised that the co- if not for that, then what would the AFL, what would it take for the Coaches Association to really come out and whack a club and, and, and really stand strong and firm on saying we will not stand for a person to be treated like that uh, in a workplace? If it was a Players Association and it was a player, you can bet your bottom dollar that they would kick up an almighty stink. But were you a bit disappointed by, I suppose, the lack of really strong um, uh, speech it wasn't coming out of the Coaches Association on this. Yeah, look, Sam, it's hard for me to judge down there because, um, to be totally honest, we're sort of a bit lost up here at times and we don't um, hear everything. But what I will say is 
is the coaches association behind closed doors is a is a is a good support for the coaches, mm. senior yep. coaches and assistant coaches. So we don't know whether Alistair Nicholson, who heads up this, the KFL Coach Association, has absolutely gone to town on Essendon behind closed doors. He mightn't be the person that stands up, and, and, and that might be the debate, what you're saying, Sam, is do you need a person that stands up and says, this is not good enough, you know, how you've treated Ben Rutten is absolutely disgraceful, da-da-da-da, um, whereas you might think that the AFLPA would do that if that was a player. Um, at the end of the day, whoever barks the loudest is irrelevant, mm. in my mind. It's... We looked at it. It wasn't done well. Whether that's been discussed behind closed doors with the AFL Coaches Association or not, which I'm pretty sure probably would have been the case uh, in a pretty um, defendable way, um, the, the, the real talking point here is it should never have happened to, to Ben Rutten. And, yeah. um, and that is that if you're going to treat someone like that, make sure you get those everything lined up before you pull that trigger. And I think that's the real talking point about that. It was almost a mercy killing at the end when they sacked him. And and you're right, late, and, and, yeah, 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 that's what I mean. Yeah, oh, it, it just felt like, oh, please, just stop this. Stop leaving this yeah. young man like in this state. Interesting that he uh, there was a, a photo in the paper yesterday online that uh, he was seen at Richmond headquarters. Now, what that means. I don't know, but what we do know is that Richmond, uh, with David Teague, um, might just be becoming the place for mistreated coaches to, to find a place to fall and, and to be brought back into the fold. David Teague doing great things at Richmond this year after what happened at Carlton last. Uh, ben Rutten, well loved. You saw the Richmond players getting to him after the, the final game of the year. Um, you know, Damien Hardwick has spoken out strongly about uh, how the events unfolded. Um, so hopefully there is a, a place for Ben Rutten because he's shown himself to be a class act through all of this no doubt a, a lot of the, these uh, ex-coaches have if I can ask Leon what determines you know you know how the pathway to be a senior coach is to be a, an assistant coach for some time and the likes but as you'd be well aware that the two jobs are vastly different yet you we step up the assistant coaches and when they go back they you know if they do decide to keep coaching as an assistant coach after being relieved of senior duties, what I'm trying to get at is how many of these guys are specifically wired to be assistant coaches and not senior coaches? Is there that much of a difference? So there's, there is a, a huge difference. Um, judging that, Derm, is clearly what people talk about every day, yep. especially, you know, in the AFL. Um, there is a massive difference. When you become a senior coach, and I, I did an 11-year apprenticeship, um, I went for – Two jobs beforehand, I missed out on the Richmond job, I missed out on the Bulldogs job. And so doubt sets into to that question you just asked, maybe I'm just an assistant coach. Um, but when you do it a long apprenticeship and then all of a sudden you are lucky enough to secure a role into the senior role coaching, you, you're 85% prepared, but that last 15% is is enormous. It's huge. Um, and the juggling of uh, so many different people, clearly you just got your football side of it. You know, you've got to be able to coach and you've got to be able to you know, implement a game plan and you, then you've got to be able to make sure that it's the right environment to develop players. So there's so much more to it. Judging coaches, whether they have are just better assistant coaches over senior coaches is always going to be an interesting debate um, because what, what do we judge it on, Derm? We just look yeah. at results. That's what we do. We look at results because we're in the results-driven business. And if you 
It's sort of like if you're at the highest level and you've won a, a premiership, you're judged as a recognised senior coach that has achieved the ultimate. If you play in finals and haven't won a premiership or a losing grand final, you'll be a notch down. If you have been in it for three or four years and it hasn't worked out, people will judge you to say, well, maybe it didn't work out for a reason because you might be just an assistant coach. We're always going to get judged because of the business we're in. But that's not to say that Ben Rutten, in another two or three years' time, can't become a senior coach again. Mm. And I like what Richmond do. I mean, they've all clearly got a great relationship, Damien and Ben, mm. and he's taken some coaches in it that hasn't worked out at their previous Let clubs. Up. Absolutely. But 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 what he does do, he's not silly. Dimmer goes, they're, they're bloody good coaches. Well, Let's he... get them into our program. How good are these? These guys have been in charge of senior roles in yeah. the past, whether it's been two or five years, I'm going, let's get them straight away. Before we move on to what the future holds and and Ross Lyon looms large and, and there's a groundswell that's starting to get larger and larger that, that if they're serious about that, if, if you want the experienced coach, you know, and this is a guy that's been uh, coached in three grand finals, there's not many others who have got his experience that are still available uh, out there. When do, how long does it take you to hit your stride as a senior coach, Leon? We, we see teams, and Derm, you've spoken about this, and I think really interestingly that boards get shaky about media speculation, then they get panicky, and then halfway through the second year of a first-time coach, they're like, oh, it's not working out. We've got to go do something else. And we've yeah. seen it time Happened and time again. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So finals last year for Rutten, they wouldn't buy in defensively this year. And I find it interesting that he couldn't. people say, oh, he couldn't coach the defence. Well, he was a defensive coach of a premiership team. Daniel G and Syracuse was their defensive coach and he's been touted for senior jobs. So those guys know what they're doing. The players weren't, you know, week in, week out, weren't able to execute. When do you know? When do you know that you hit your stride as a senior coach? How long does it take? I think all the, the elements need to be lining up and uh, I don't think there's any, I mean, look at um, Chris Scott. He, he, he coaches for, I think, three or four years at Fremantle, jumps in and he re builds in a short period of time Geelong who looked like they would only win the two flags and he gets a premiership in his first year. So, and do you say, okay, well, how does that happen? Um, Derm, you would have been involved with some of the best coaches that coached you. You know, you had Jeansy and you had Joyce in, there would have been a difference and all that sort of stuff. There's, I don't think there's any specific marker to go, okay, I'm now in my third year. I mean, we talk about players going, oh, he's played 50 games, he's ready to launch. Coaching the elements need to line up. You've got the right list. Um, you're trying to build a list. You've got the right, right coaching staff around you. And I'll come back to that word, you know, those two words, total alignment. If you've got really good, strong people, whether it's a senior assistant coach, a football manager, or a football director, that can see through the dark times that we are on the right track, even though we haven't had a, a linear uh, result, you know, it's it's been a little bit up and down, then... Um, that is the key to coaching survival because it's that trust to say, well, no, nah, we really like what this coach is doing. He's got A, B, C, D intact. We haven't got E right yet, but we see that's coming even though the results are not there. And we've seen some wonderful stories that have mm. had five or six years as apprenticeship as a senior coach and then go on become premiership coaches. You mentioned strong people. And what I would say how it happens is you might have a coach who's not getting the results that the board anticipated and the football manager might not be a completely strong-willed person. 
and he'll go into the board for the, his once a month meeting or what, however frequently they have them. And members of the board who are captains of industry who haven't really played much footy, maybe primary school footy, but they love the game, but they don't have that totally uh, uh, intrinsic understanding of the sport. And they'll ask questions of the football manager and the football manager will end up half siding with them because that's what happens when you're 1v10 and you end up appeasing those people interrogating you. Whereas, and that makes a little bit of instability. Whereas if you have a Neil Baum go in there, Mm. He's six foot five. He's 120 kilos. And somebody, you know, with a non-footballing background makes one of these comments and he stares at them and says, no, our lad's doing it right. Yeah, sweaty palms just yeah. thinking about it. They it? stop talking. And that's how, that's how boards work. Yep. And, and then the, the second bloke who was about to pile in as well and say, why didn't we do this? He doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> ask the question. Yep. And that's real strength delivered to the board from the football department. So that role has become increasingly important as well for club stability to ride through rough and rocky times. We've only just scratched the surface of the agenda on crunch time. We will speak about, uh, with uh, Leon Cameron specifically after this, uh, about the direct uh, coaching-wise for Essendon moving forward. Adam Kingsley was appointed this week as the new coach of the Giants. We'll get our team's view on that. Speaking of uh, apprenticeships, he did a 16-year apprenticeship. Uh, Dane Zorko, we will speak about, who finally broke his silence as well, and we'll debate the All-Australian team because what better debate in football is there than the All-Australian team each and every year? This is Crunch Time. You're listening to the award-winning Crunch Time. Uh, welcome to Crunch Time, or welcome back to Crunch Time, whichever fits the bill for you for Werribee Izuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Ute into D-Max now. They're paying top dollar for trade-in. Sam Hargraves in for Jared Waitley, uh, joined by Dermot Burton and Leon Cameron. As we just put a pin in our... Uh, a great Essendon. recovery by you there. Really good. Welcome to Crunch Time. Oh, actually, welcome back to crunch time or whatever suits mm. you. Yeah. Yeah, very good recovery. Well, you could be column A, you could be column you B. Could, <laughs> coming in for the first time, I hey, like that. I, as all new parents that. are, I'm working on very zero, I'm working on zero sleep. I don't even know what day it is. So <laughs> the fact that I welcome people to crunch time, I've forgotten that we've just done a complete first segment. So, And, and just for our listeners, Sammy, Sammy's got the newborn at home. What, five weeks old? Yeah, six weeks tomorrow yeah. for little Charlie. When we spoke about 10 weeks ago yeah. uh, and I said, sleep as much as you can because mm. it ain't happening <laughs> Yeah, I think I left that conversation after. petrified uh, from you and Hodgie <laughs> just laying down the absolutes, which no one does, by the way. There's a there's chemical no there's a chemical thing in the brain where people forget how difficult the first few weeks are, which is why they have more kids. So no one ever really tells you what you're in for. But I think you and Hodgie did a great yeah. job of scaring the living you-know-what out of me. Yeah. Sammy, it's like a young kid that gets drafted uh, yeah. his first pre-season <laughs> and uh, – he doesn't come in the best condition. He's not real fit. And then all of a sudden, it just up until Christmas, he crawls to Christmas yes. for about six weeks of absolute torturous training. Yeah. No, I'm the epitome of that. Or might be the second year that maybe let themselves go over the mid-season as well. To just tell us you're not one of the kids who doesn't come back after Christmas. <laughs> no, I'll be heading back. I've got to, I'd say to the beautiful Evie all the time, she's the senior coach, and at this stage, there's not much. I'd like to be a senior assistant, 
but all I can really do is just put the witch's hat out and run a bit of water back and forth at the moment. <laughs> so she's a star. Hey, you, just, you just, mate, Sammy, you just have to stay strong and keep reporting to the board in a really good way, okay? <laughs> like Dermy said, report yeah. to the family, report in a really honest way. Do you remember the back in the days, Leon, when we were VFL? And you'd invite people from your zone, not from, you know, there was no draft. Yep. So you'd start pre-season training in the really hot 35 degrees with 75, 80 people on the track. And you're looking to cut it to about 50 to 55. There were no hard and fast numbers. But you looked at some blokes in the first couple of weeks, you go, they aren't turning up next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And because the grounds were always hard, hard as rocks. Yeah. You weren't on on the original grounds, massive numbers, and you did feel for some people. They'd probably mm. come up in all shapes and sizes and just didn't get there. I can tell you, though, that there has been already some 360-degree feedback of my performance. <laughs> <laughs> all warranted. All warranted. And we, and we know the areas of improvement that we need moving well, forward. The one thing I'll say from it is I, I still use the terminology, give it the dirty nappy treatment. Get the first one wrong and get that crap flying everywhere. You'll never be asked again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like I, I start looking at it like a pit stop now. I want to. I'm going to start setting a time. I want to beat my record. If I'm going to start setting PBs, <laughs> you will end up getting it everywhere. <laughs> uh, we're speaking a bit of it now. Uh, we'll get back on track. Um, our conversation about Essendon. So, Leon, I, just for you, for you first and foremost, um, if you were to get a phone call from uh, Dave Barham and say, "Come and have a chat with me." Uh, or are you willing to go through a process? They've set up a panel which includes Robert Walls and Jordan Lewis, the Essendon Footy Club, to try and find their next coach, Simone McInnes, uh, Andrew Thorburn, uh, Bombers director Dorothy Hisgrove, uh, and Josh Marnie will be heading that up. Um, would that be something you'd be willing to do? Yeah, like that's the, the, the really interesting question for, for myself. I mean, I think, um, firstly, you know, congratulations, they've actually you know, got that panel together and Wolsey and, and Jordan and, and Marnes and and Simone and you mentioned Andrew and Dorothy. That's the, the six that are going to pick the next coach. I think before any applicant like myself or whether it's um, Adam Uze or Ross Lyon or whoever that might be, the big question is are you willing to go through that process? Because for, for, for the listeners out there, the process is, is full on. It's a month to six weeks, sometimes eight weeks, of full-on presentations, psychological testing. Um, there's probably three or four presentations you need to deliver. Then you've got to meet the board if you keep on going, or you're you're down to the last two. Um, it's a it's a it's a thorough process, and and you know I haven't really given that much thought yet. Um, I haven't had that phone call. Clearly, they've just um, um, uh, named their 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 coaching uh, panel yesterday. But no doubt next week uh, there'll be some things to discuss from me, whether or not. I've got the energy to go through that. Um, do I think you're the right fit to go through that? But um, rest assured, um, you know, if you do decide to go down that path, you've actually got to be full on. You've actually got to go, no, I can't be 95% in. If you're going for a senior job, what I have learnt in my time, um, you can't go at 95%. You've got to go all in and you've got to be prepared to sit down and go through the process as, as thorough as you, as you need to be. To me, hearing Rossi line, it sounds to me like when you're saying I've lost faith in the in the mm. recruiting of coaches process. To me, it sounds like, and I have no doubt Ross could still be a wonderful coach. Of course, he could. That's I don't even need to say that. Um, but it sounds to me like he's saying, "I'll take the job, but I'm not being interviewed for it." 
I'm not going to be run up the flag, up the flagpole to be let down. But and it sounds like he's trying to circumnavigate those mm. that string of interviews you're talking about, Leon. Yeah, look, I, that's hard to. I don't. I can't speak on on behalf of yep. Ross. I mean, he's a super coach, and and rightfully so. There should be a lot of noise about Ross because of his history. He's he's taken. Let's not forget what he did at St Kilda. Let's not forget what he did at Fremantle. So he's 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 built sides up, um, and he's built them into formidable teams. And you could argue he's a kick away from you know winning a couple of grand finals. So his record speaks for itself. I mean, Ross is the only one that can answer it whether or not he wants to go through that full process and. I'm just probably commenting on what I've seen yesterday when they've announced that panel, and that panel looks like um, they will go through a thorough process. Whether there's five coaches putting their name up, whether they ring early next week and say, right, these are the people that we really want to ask, are they interested in coaching the Eston Football Club? And the Eston Football Club has got wonderful history, and clearly it's been a massive 10 days for them. So they want to make sure that they get this right. So... It's an interesting one, Derm, um, and it, it's a hard one to comment, but, um, you know, no doubt it's going to be a thorough process whichever way you look at it. Is So a question for for both of you, and this is something with Ross Lyon that uh, Hutchie was critical of last year with Carlton, that he seemed to be reticent to go through a full process. Now, we've seen clubs not go through process, be pilloried for it if it didn't work out. Yep. Alistair Clarkson was the only target for North Melbourne, but with four premierships next to your name, you can understand why that would be. So for you, Leon, what would you be, what, because interviews are often two ways. So yes, they want to know from you, what would be your plan and how do you do this? And what do you think about that? And what, that, 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 that. what would you want to hear from Essendon in that process? What, what assurances would you need to go in? Yeah. Well, I think if, if you're uh, willing and able to go through the process and you're lucky enough. So there's two ways here. You're lucky enough to be have a phone call. Um, I think uh, as a as a young coach, you would, you know, clearly you want to know the stability of the footy club of what's gone on. But we can only go on what's happening now and clearly it's not just small change, there's big change. Mm. They've acknowledged where they've sat. They've sort of, you know, openly come out and said, we need to clearly make some change. Some people have moved on already and said, well, I can't, stay on because it's not right. Um, I supported someone else and that's, they've made a different decision. So I think you're probably just, uh, you're probably questioning where does all that stability sit coming back to those two words of total alignment, because if a young coach comes in or a senior coach uh, that comes in, has been in the previous club, what they want to know is, um, you know, the support of footy manager, football director, board, uh, weighing up where the club is at. Do you really know where the club is at? There might be a huge disparity between the presenting coach and the list compared to where the club thinks the list is at. And all of a sudden that mightn't work. So hand in hand, you might be going, okay, well, I really think that the list is uh, X, but the Bombers might think, uh, the people at Essen might think the, the list is capable of being in the top six next year. So that discussion has to happen and those honest discussions have to happen if you are going through that process. So, Derm, you've been on boards and you've gone through these processes. What do you, if you were on this panel, what do you want to hear from the people that that are going through the, the process that you invite to come along, whether it be Leon, whether it be Ross, uh, if he was agreeable to it and James Hurd's name doesn't go away, what do you want to hear when you're in that room? So what you're looking at is... 
one of the things you're listening for and they don't actually speak it is your ability to work with people, their ability to foster younger talent, their mm. ability to bring people along, and that's their human relationship skill set. Mm. You then want to hear their assessment of, of your own list, and as long as you have an accurate assessment yourself and you, you're not in love with your players, but you do respect them and, and you, you love them in your own certain type of way, you want that uh, prospective coach to give an accurate assessment of where they are, what they are, his own belief, and you want to hear about their their battle plan you want to hear about their game style so there's just some of the things and there's a there's an as alan jeans used to tell us coaches you've got to have charisma some coaches and i would as much as the, the one thing i say about ben rutten i didn't find him a terribly charismatic person doesn't mean he doesn't have a great concept of football doesn't mean he doesn't have a great understanding of the game and has great views on it they can all go together mm. but the great coaches are pardon me charismatic bastards they are just live it and breathe it and they they have that x factor just like the great players and then again some of them <laughs> don't have it you know you get little back pockets who turn into great to, into great <laughs> coaches yeah they just have that little bit of something yeah you know, i must say they don't have it as players but they just have that little bit of charisma as a person on top of all the the previous so there's uh, a bit outline. of dennis denudo the vibe uh, yeah. uh, about it <laughs> hey uh, we'll, we'll speak about your old club uh, the giants and their appointment of adam kingsley uh, widely applauded uh, for their uh, decision that they made during the week and there is so much still to get through we'll talk about dane zorko uh, as well alistair clarkson's team is assembling uh, at north melbourne and, and what that means and lee matthews comments on that through the week and we still haven't even touched on the all australian team and the afl media awards so there is still a heap to get through on crunch time. You're listening to the award-winning crunch time. All thanks to Werribee Isuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Ute into D-Max now. They're paying top dollar for trade-ins. Werribee Isuzu Ute, they make buying cars easy. Sam Hargraves in for Gerard Whiteley, Dermot Burton, and Leon Cameron. Um, Leon, you spoke before about apprenticeships uh, in assistant coaching, and uh, there's not many that may have done one as long as Adam Kingsley. I think there's four other senior jobs that he was right at the pointy end of the decision-making for uh, that he just missed out on. But a premiership player and a best and fairest at Port Adelaide as a player, four years as an assistant at Port. I think it was nine years at the Saints and then three years at Richmond, uh, including a couple of flags to, to be there during uh, that time, he finally gets his chance to take the reins uh, of your old club and become their third ever coach, the Giants. Um, and he'll automatically go in as having uh, the best guns uh, in the coaching ranks as well. So there's a whole lot to be excited about for, for the Giants. But what did you think of the appointment? Firstly, I felt ashamed because of looking at him. He's built like a brick and I was the opposite to him. I was hobbling around at the end of my tent. I can hardly walk. So, uh, um, look, I, 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 look, I think it's fantastic. Um, and and I've met Adam only a couple of times through playing and, you know, in the AFL world. But just to see uh, the persistence and, and what he's done and uh, at uh, Port and then St Kilda and then Richmond – He's he's absolutely set his mind on and and uh, and I can understand what he's gone through because he's exactly what I went through. You sort of go, oh, geez, if I miss out again, what happens? If I miss out again, what happens? And I miss too. And then on the third time, I 
I was lucky enough to secure the job at the Giants. And uh, so I'm absolutely wrapped. He's done a wonderful apprenticeship. If you talk at people at Port, they'll say great things about him. If you go to St Kilda and Richmond, it'll be equally as good about his knowledge of the game. He would have covered all lines, backs, mids, forwards, stoppages. So in terms of preparation, um, he's as good, he's ready to go. And um, you know, I think it's a really good appointment. It's a t- and it's a tough appointment because Adam Uze will be sitting there going, he's done a long apprenticeship as well, mm. and, and Mark McVeigh as well, who are all going to be very, very, you know, if they want to chase that path of a senior role one day, um, are all going to be good coaches in their own right. But as you alluded to, Sam, um, he's been that bridesmaid for three or four times, mm. and, and it's a great um, – Philip in his cap to go, no, I'm on the right direction. I've just been pipped by this person. I'll go again. I'll go again. I'll go again. And that's going to hold him in good stead um, for when he jumps into the, the into the hot seat in a, in a month's time or two months' time, whenever Richmond's campaign finishes. Derm, I love the maturity of the competition now so that we don't have a repeat of what happened with Brenton Sanderson, who tragically, I think, missed out on being in the coach's box for, for that Geelong premiership when he had um, been given the uh, Adelaide Crows job and, and, and the decision was made that he had to step out straight away. Um, Richmond and the Giants have said, no, no, we're more than comfortable with um, Adam seeing out the year uh, at Richmond and, and seeing that tenure through. Um, I, I thought yeah, that it, showed a, a maturity in the competition that maybe hasn't been there in previous years. That can be viewed in, in two ways, and that is... Um, they want them to complete their job. They haven't got enough time to or manpower to cover you if they let you out. I, I honestly think most clubs would prefer, right, you're going to another team. Uh, you, you're allowed to step out now. If they could amply supply somebody on the spot to to fill in for that role but they can't not at this stage of the season so we're, we're seeing that in the past there have been teams who've allowed that to happen and thought no you're not taking any of our not that they didn't know it anyway IP mm. over to you know how we go about finals football you're going to be coaching against us next year uh, they have haven't wanted that and they've really battled to fill that role it uh, gets suffice manpower, sufficient manpower to cover that role for the rest of their season. We're getting uh, hard up to, to the ad break, but um, the number one agenda item for the Giants that Adam Kingsley will need to come in and, and fix straight away, Leon. So there is a, a list squeeze, as unfortunately there has been for a long time at the Giants. The, the reports that Bobby Hill, Tim Taranto, Jacob Hopper, Tanner Bruin could all be uh, on the way out. Um, what... And it might not be easy for you to discuss, but what's your view on what's the first item on Adam Kingsley's agenda on day one when he steps through the door? I think it's the same as every coach, um, regardless whether it's the Giants. He's, mm. he, he, he's got to build that relationships over that early summer period. I mean, clearly he's going to come in with a different game plan and the experiences that he's had at his clubs that he's learnt from. But it's like anything, he needs to build that relationships with the, with the, the, the crop that's at the, at the Giants. I mean, clearly in the trade period, it sort of hits you straight away when you become a coach and go, okay, well, if I'm losing three or four players, what's coming in? Um, we've seen what's happened at the Giants in the past in terms of managing that salary cap and that, you know, the, the retention um, of, of players going back home. So that will be there happening in the background, but his main role is to, okay, I need to build a great relationship with Steve Canelio and Toby Green and Josh mm. Kelly and, 
you know, and Connor Iden and, you know, Lecalier and all these guys. And uh, and then once he starts to build that, then all of a sudden pre-season comes around and he'll be implementing his game plan pretty much probably day one. Can I ask you a quick one? Seeing Isaac Rankin, the go-home factor, I would think if you wanted to build a back line in your West Australian team, you would throw the world at Sam Taylor. How locked in is he long-term? I think he's a couple of years to him. I mean, he's had a great year. He's a super kid, as you know. But emotionally, um, and, how how is he? All Australian, oh, no, best of last night. Oh, well, I think he's really locked in. I think he's got a partner in uh, in Sydney. Uh, who's she's from Sydney, and the way he spoke at the best and fairest last night was first class. Yeah, you know, he's a shy young kid who's just developing every year. His natural footy ability is unbelievably good. And emotionally, I can see him really locked in there with Lecalier and Connor Iden and Harry Himmelberg. So I think they're in really good, in a really good spot. Bit to play out there, and a bit to play out on Saturday crunch time. We'll be back for the second hour, and plenty on the agenda for hour two. Stick around. Welcome to crunch time. Absolutely wonderful to have you on board. The pre-finals by and the start of the AFLW season, an award season edition of Crunch Time. Sam Hargraves in for Jerry Waitley, joined by Leon Cameron, Dermot Brereton. Lads, I feel like we've only uh, just barely um, given it a tickle at the minute with so it much the on the award ad- season. That's yes. what it is. This week is, yep. you know, if you don't follow AFL, you're going to be saturated with it on your TV screens because it's the award season. Yep. And if you don't know who made the All-Australian team, you should yes. start watching us and we're going to get more people watching and we're going to get more supporters and we'll grow our fan base. Uh, we'll, we'll address Wednesday night. I thought it was a fantastic idea to have the Coach Association and Players Association Awards all on, on a sort of like a gala <laughs> night uh, capped <laughs> off with the All-Australian team. We'll get your thoughts on that in just a moment. I don't think there's any better debating point every year than the All-Australian team. But just to a more serious topic, um, first and foremost, um, so this time last week was the Saturday morning after mm. the Friday night game between Melbourne and Brisbane. Um the praise that was being offered to the clubs after the and the condemnation of what Dane Zorko had said to Harrison Petty, um, clubs met during the game. After the game, there was private and public apologies from Dane Zorko and the club. The clubs agreed that that was where it would lie because Harrison Petty said, I'll accept that apology, my family accept that apology, and now I would just like to move on. The clubs agree with that. The AFL, the AFLPA all agree um, with that. Petty asked for it to be left alone. Then the pylon ensues, obviously, and we believe that we knew better. So there was calls of, no, the AFL need to intervene, the PA need to intervene, strip captaincies, get suspended, get fined. Um we had to also probably get our licks in to, to be who could condemn Dane Zorko the most. I thought once what he said was equated with the sustained and systemic racial abuse at our Indigenous players cop from one senior writer, I thought, okay, we've jumped the shark on this. Um, then sort of midweek this week, Melbourne players got in onto the media. I think Christian Petrarca, Max Gorn, and they spoke out about what was said. And Max Gorn said it was probably the worst thing he's heard on a football field and that you just don't go near families. I, I, I have a feeling that might have been, I don't know for sure, that that might have been the catalyst for Dane Zorko coming onto SEN Drive and speaking to Andy and Gazy and, and had this to say. Obviously really important that at, at some point um, it was important for me to speak. Obviously um, my apolog- I apologise to Harrison on the final siren and obviously that apology still stands. Uh, stands. Um, I guess my remorse still stands. If Certainly, um, boys, as you know, if I could take it back, there's no doubt I would. Um, mm. 
I guess for me, I just sort of want to get across that it was a, it was an intense game. Um, honestly, from the first bounce, there was sort of toing and froing from both sides of the fence. Um, players across the field um, probably stepped up to the line all game, and I acknowledge that um, I certainly crossed that. Um, and I guess for me, it, I just reckon it's really important that um, Lions fans and fans in general probably um, understand that it, it wasn't just an unprovoked sledge and it wasn't set in isolation. Um. Yeah, it was. It mm. was as I said, it was it was toing 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 and throwing for the majority of the game, and uh, remorsefully, I, I, I accept that I've, I've overstepped the mark, and um, I just thought it was really important that you know I came out and said something, and, and people understood that. So Dane Zorko reiterates his apology, his regret, his remorse. He owns his behaviour uh, as being unacceptable, and we all agree with that, uh, that what was said should never, ever be said. Um, but he provides context, which he didn't do initially. He said, no, no, this is on me. I have done the wrong thing, and he I will He wasn't able it. to, though, initially. He, he, what he, he then reveals, and it has been since mm. reported, that what he copped also crossed the line and also uh, may have been in relation to family um, of his um, on reflection now, how do we see the week and how do we see the response and the, and, and the way in which this has all unfolded from what was initially what initially happened to where we currently sit now, Leon? Oh, look, I think you've laid it out pretty well, Sam. I think uh, it looks like the club's dealt with it within 24 hours. Mm. The AFL were happy with, not happy, but they accepted that the club's dealt with it really well and... You know, hats off to Alan Richardson yeah. and Danny Daly straight away. They were onto it. And, and you can actually hear Melbourne's uh, speak early in the piece to say Brisbane have been so accommodating. They've got on the front foot. We've dealt with it. We've accepted it. We didn't, you know, they wouldn't have agreed on it. And then they moved on. And by I think it was by about Sunday, it was all done and dusted. I think what you're probably alluding to there, Sam, is that then – you know, a couple of Melbourne players were probably interviewed about it and it sort of got brought up again. Mm. And and sounds like Dane's going, well, hang on, I thought it was already been done with, you know, um, we don't want to talk about it again. Um, and then he probably wanted to justify a little bit of what happened in the game because looking at that game really closely, there was an enormous amount of going on. Mm. There was an enormous amount going on. And, Derm, you've played in games that uh, – are a little bit more niggly than others. And clearly, you know, whether that's a full-on rivalry yet or there's, you know, the, those two don't like each other, there was a fair bit going on. And so I think what probably Dame was alluding to is that, oh, hang on, I've done the wrong thing here, but um, there was also a little bit else going on. I'm disappointed that that hasn't been portrayed and it just looks as though I'm the bad person here, which seemed to come out in the back end of this week, If correct me if I'm wrong, Sam. Yeah, I think the only person that gave any support to Dane Zorko in the media was was John O'Brien, who alluded to that uh, on the couch and said, "There's it's never a one-way street. And we all acknowledge, and Dane acknowledges, that what he said should never be said and wishes he never had. And your heart went out to Harrison Petty to see that it clearly hit home and there was a, uh, it wasn't a premeditated thing. There wasn't any awareness of anything that, that may have been, uh, why that might have been taken um, to heart more so from the Zorko side. But again, never should have been said, and he acknowledges that. He wanted it done and dusted there once he accepted the apology. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and then it's played out. And now there's the talk that, okay, well, y- yes, it was an awful thing to say, but there were things being said to Dane that may have been just as bad. As a fraternity, the AFL, and I agree with 
both you gentlemen wholeheartedly and well well spoken as well. As a fraternity, we are better at curtailing these types of remarks compared to history, uh, public history, and also sporting history. Mm. Um, in a game which is really willing. Your emotions are you want to do everything to beat the opposition. In a game which then becomes spiteful on top of that, your actions become spiteful and your words become spiteful and it becomes a situation of one-upmanship who can hurt the other more with mm. words. Clearly, it was a game of one-upmanship and who was more spiteful uh, in, their, in their terminology, in their words. And, and Dane, unfortunately, won that battle by crossing the line. It is up for debate whether the Melbourne boys crossed that line as well before Dane's comment. So there's no winner here in, in that. No, there's when not. When I say that he won the battle, it's a oh, no, We know yeah. him, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's no winner here. No, there isn't. I, I, you brought up one point which irks me and still does, and that's and even though I'm not against, you know, calling a player on various things and actions and whatever, and some of them dislike it, how I'd get a bit too honest with that. I am dead set against people in the media, and I count myself as one of the media, mm. of course, who hear a result between two teams who say, done, we have dealt with it, we, have, uh, uh, we didn't like the action, but mm. we've dealt with it, and we are comfortable with the outcome, we want to move on. And then people in the media who are close to being social justice warriors, say, well, we're not comfortable with it. We want more. This should happen. Who are we as, a, as a, an organisation to say, no, even though you guys were the ones who were hurt, we're not comfortable with that. That's their deal. Mm. Yeah, we report on it. Don't let us be the arbiters of this, this action. Somewhere along the line... And only because I'm an ex-player. Somewhere along the line, we have made people in the media more important than people <laughs> in the game. So their want for a, a reaction, mm. their want for a decision, their want for a handing down of certain actions carries more weight than the people in the game. I, I just find it ludicrous. Leon, would you be of the belief that... The, the, regardless of what anybody else thought should happen, that what was most, that the opinions that mattered most were first and foremost what Harrison Petty wanted and secondly, I suppose, what Dane Zorko wanted given that he understood the context that had led up to that point and when the clubs and the players and everybody show hands, the AFL, I think, and the PA must have had a broader understanding of what was going on in and around all that, which is why I'm, I believe, just in my hunch, is that they go, okay, well, if we go further on this, we will have to dig up everything. No, no, I, I yeah. totally agree, and I know what Derm's absolutely trying to say. Luckily, Derm's social media and um, uh, the media coverage now wasn't as big as it was back in your days, Derm, because they would have talked oh. about you every week. <laughs> Um, so anyway, let's get that off our that, chest that first. That seems like from secondly, coming from someone who might have copped something from you at one point. Sec secondly, Sam, I think the um, I th you, you, there's layers, and the first layer is the players and the clubs. Mm. Okay, so the, it's the clubs, Melbourne, Brisbane. Harrison said, "No, we move on. I've accepted Dane's apology. Dane's apologised. We move on. They've investigated it. Twenty four hours. They then go to the AFLPA." 
who are, you know, the controlling body, and then the AFL, who are the keepers of the game. Mm. They then said, yes, we we didn't approve of it, but we really like how you've handled it. End of story. Finish yep. up. Done. And and then to just stir it back up, and I don't know how it came back up again, Doom, but it's just leave it at that. That's done. Because that, I think that's they've handled the it really Melbourne well. boys came in, Leon, and, and they were asked in the media mm. a, a, about it, and they, they passed commentary on it after it had been settled. So they're, you know, doing an interview about the coming games, or how you played, what you're doing. Yeah, a general interview, and, and the interviewee, uh, is 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 yep. asked about the situation. That's right. how it was okay. brought up. And I think at that stage, Dane Zorko said, well, you know what, I've got to get on the front foot here. I've got to actually yep. have my and, say. And even because I think even Brisbane Lion fans were really upset thinking that how could you do that? And, and so I they think were. there was a message in there for fans to yeah. just mm. say, so I hear you, and yes, you're right, but, but please no. Mm. Um, I think Jerry Waitley spoke really well during the week about who, who the Australian cricketers are a great – cautionary tale for us about when players or, or when the game thinks it is the arbiter of where the line is. So, so, the, so, so, so one club said, well, Dane crossed it, but we didn't. And, and you did, I didn't. Who, who holds the line? So it is, I think there is a greater lesson for everybody in this about, but if you think that you are the, the moral compass or the moral keeper of the, the line, you're probably not. Uh, and then what should and shouldn't be said in society, let alone a football field. There's a broader issue there. I think Max Gorn has spoken so well on this, which is interesting in and around all this. When the stuff with Steve May happened, Max Gorn, I loved hearing him talk about, you know, toxic masculinity in our four walls. We, I don't like, I don't abide by that. I don't, we don't, we don't hurt each four other walls, based you on mean, you within mean the club. Four no, no, within Max Gorn talked toxic about. Toxic masculinity on a football field is. As long as you don't cross this boundary, toxic masculinity, masculinity uh, in in rapidly pursuing the goal is awesome. But in in a, di- we, I'm splitting hairs here. No, he we- was talking about how the men communicate with each other within that club. When after what happened with Steve May and what happened at that dinner, he said one of the things that disappointed him is he goes out of his way to make sure that they don't tear each other down for the way in which they go about okay. doing well, their respect. job. And, yeah, yeah about yeah, the way in respect. which they communicate yeah. with each other, they respect yeah. each other. Um, I, I loved hearing all that. I thought, gee, that's really progressive thinking um, from, from Max uh, in, in that space. Because if there's a line where you just out on the field without being denigrating mm. the game, without, without you know, with hostility and pure venom and, and, and tearing somebody apart, Verbally, that it really hits home. If you can push to the line of toxic masculinity, but what is the line? Get, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Well, clearly, don't morally, over morally, and ethically, there's the yeah. line. Yeah, and and, and, so and is anybody everyone, actually any good at sledging? I mean, who the ones we know from cricket? They're you know, it's the ones that are actually funny that are good, not yeah, the ones that are. Incredibly nasty. Tim Payne and Ashwin, when when he was at the start, not Tim Payne's while he's out of the game, but when when Ashwin was batting and Tim Payne's behind the stumps, that was where they were trying to push it without stepping mm. over the line. Ashwin would ask a would make a statement, take guard, and Tim Payne would respond, and he'd pull away, and Ashwin would blame Tim Payne for it. So that's where Jared saying the game was. Trying mm. to be their own uh, um, uh, mm. moral compass, but they 
they just couldn't. There, and I mean, there's been some horrible things said to Dave Warner over a period of time too. And I've had English, a couple of England players that have said to me, "Yeah, we, we said some things we shouldn't have, but it was after three days of him relentlessly sledging us, and we got sick of it." And yeah, then, so that's, you, that's to your point about the one up. Yeah. That, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to go you. I'm, I'll go you one better. There's a level you can go to, and then and then no, that's the ceiling, and then no one can go higher than that, mm. or you cross the line. Did your players speak about it? You, you've come out of the modern era of players, Leon. Do your players speak about things that are said on the field or did they speak internally about what they did and want it, did, how they wanted to be and how they didn't want to be in that space? Oh, I think they probably just talked about, um, I mean, they're clearly their focus is on getting the result. Um, if you think about the masculinity that you're talking about there, um, Derm is a good thing. It is because the game is hard. The game is it needs aggression. It needs to have this thought that I am going to impose myself on the person beside me because he's the opposition, and if I can get one up in a morally and ethical way, then that helps my team get the result. Okay, yes. and so yes. that is still there. Now that's done in a number of ways. There's people that are the best sledges without even opening their mouth. They just absolutely physically, they use their eyes, their stare, their body language, and they can back it up. Um, they are the ones that you go, geez, they are. They play with a level of intensity that can frighten or absolutely put opposition players off their game. And so speaking about it at the Giants, it was one of those things because we had this you know, sometimes you go into final series, it was us against the world because you're an underdog. You would go in with that, but as long as you didn't cross the line. It's but, you had Shane. But, but is that, but I, I, I would, <laughs> I would raise the point. I would all, uh, maybe throw up that I don't know if that's masculinity. I, I think that's just, isn't that for, for you guys that were the professional athletes? I watched the AFLW and they are ruthless physically. They're fantastic. There's a bit of ch- yeah. And trust yeah. me, there's chat that goes on yeah. out there too. Uh, we, uh, isn't that just elite level competitive it's sport that you question, need to be Sammy. ruthless? That's that's that doesn't have a gender. It's uh, to a be mindset. ruthless and to be uh, there's no a, gen- there's no gender, Sam. No. But the, what what but, but the, what I'm probably trying to get at. Yeah. there is different levels. Yep. So you just uh, Derm just mentioned and laughed Shane Mumford, and it, just before, and he's going, okay, well, what's Mumford's level? Um, when it comes to a final compared to a home and away game that he mightn't be up to a level, if you know what I mean. And everyone wants to peak and play their absolute premium football and be the the, the most um, physical best player you can possibly be each week, but it's that's not that's not possible. So when games reach a fever pitch or a really, really high stakes on it, you look back and you go, how good was that from that player He's got one up on him because he's just imposed himself more physically than maybe he would do mm. in a game that wasn't at its fever pitch. There's a, you, you made some cricket analogies before. What I'm talking about, that, that toxic aspect of the, the real, mm. you called it toxic masculine, it's probably toxic competitiveness. The cricket sure. terminology would be the fast bowler who bowls short, scones the bloke, and he falls on his stumps. He gets him out and he sends him away with some mental scars. That's the type of – and you mm. made mention, does it have to be? It rolls into one. 
Mm. They're, they're beasts. The, the people who win in these situations, they are beasts. And yep. they are just, their mind is different. It's a win at all costs. But as I say, as a fraternity, we've got better on not of knowing when to not cross that line. But these people, they're, they're animals in their pursuit of winning. And it's in, and every player who steps out at the elite level has a different level Form of that. Of yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because there are some players who look at all that and go, oh, I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Uh, just a waste of That's energy time. Type. Yeah. 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 Uh, my, my um, just not that it's an elite level sport, but I was incredibly combative as a kid playing sport. Like I wanted to be in physical, verbal, everything like that. I felt like I wasn't involved in the oh, game. My old that. man, <laughs> my old man would look at me and go, what the bloody hell are you doing out there? Yeah, just go yeah. and get a kick. Yeah. Just yeah. go and get a kick. Yeah. Because yeah, it was never that way for him. So everybody has their um, everybody has their, their mental mindset going in. Can I ask, though, when it comes to some – sometimes on the flip side of this, and, Leon, you'll be able to talk to this because if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it a sledge to – and correct me if I'm wrong, but and this is a sledge that maybe been to Bob Murphy from one of the Giants players, you're the worst – club in the history of the game or something like that. So now we've got this incredible Giants and Western Bulldogs rivalry. So every now and then, <laughs> a sledge, if it's not of that personal nature, but just of a broader nature, can actually create something incredible. I think that that might have happened the year after I got up and I heard about that when the Giants played the Bulldogs. Um, I think it was down in Canberra I heard about that, but it wasn't really elaborated on. This is when Ryan Griffin was at the Bulldogs, and it was really early in its infancy. But you're right. I mean, it's 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 a fine line, and everything we talk about, like you just said, Sam, I mean, why should Dermot Burton be more physically um, imposing than another player? But that's just the way we've mm. – it's the way that the team is balanced out and made up and made up. Like I think, um, you know, the you could talk about this for ages because uh, there is so many examples of intimidation out on the ground that's still relevant, probably not as much Ooh. as what it used to be. Um, and you go, okay, was that morally right and was that ethically right um, or did they just win out on that occasion because they did it in the right manner and they knew the line not to push? Ooh. And in Dermot's case, it was intimidating because you never realized, you never knew, especially if you're Essendon, from one week to the next, were you going to get your huddle ran through or were you going to get kissed? So it was always... Line got a bit blurred with Essendon. <laughs> it was always very hard to tell what you might... Don't be. worry. And that in itself would make you very nervous. I'm sure they did. <laughs> uh, look, it is, an, it is a fascinating... And as the world and what we believe is acceptable in, in society changes, so too... Does it change it on a sporting sport. field? So it w- I think yep. this will be something that – and I wonder what will happen. I, I actually wonder whether this will be something that the players speak about at their next meeting. Um, so just to put it for the listeners into, into perspective, in the, in the 80s when I played in the 90s, you could have a family member who could, took their own life, suicide, mental mm. health issues. I guarantee if you when you played next – it would be mentioned out in the ground, and it would be mentioned in disparaging terms. That, that is unfathomable. And that is so damaging. Yep. But we just went right. You know, put it. Don't don't react to it. Don't react to it. And and the world was a very very vastly different place. And so yeah, we've progressed. Mm. Do we need to progress more and get better? We always do. We we've definitely progressed in a in a in a in a far better way. Yep, absolutely.
Uh, we've got to get to a break in, in just a moment, but do we want to start? Uh, we, we'll save our All Australian team chat for the next segment, but uh, news during the week that uh, Alistair Clarkson's team is being assembled. Uh, so, Todd Viney, um, who was a, a long time partner in crime and in success with Clarko uh, at the Hawks, is replacing Dan McPherson, who's only been at North Melbourne uh, for a year after being poached from Melbourne. So, they split that role, the GM of footy role, between he and Brady Rawlings. And Brady looked after more the player side of things, the list side of things. Um, but Todd Viney will come in and oversee AFL, AFLW. He will be the sole GM. Uh, of footy. Brady Rawlings will now report to Todd Viney and still look after the list element uh, of the football department. Um, Heath Uni, no longer at the footy club. Anthony Rocker um, departs as well on the head of medical, which was Clint Fraser. So the Clarkson era uh, beginning in earnest. And and it, it, this would, we've been talking about Essendon. We've been talking about what Adam Kingsley needs to do. The formation of your team around you seems to be um, as crucial, Leon, as any element of what a coach does. And we've seen how many assistant coaches have come through, yourself included, uh, from the Clarko era to be senior coaches. And now we're starting to see the Damien Hardwick influence start to roll on. Um, this, these are big decisions that are being made, but it would appear that uh, what Clarko wanted and what he will get is sort of carte blanche to, to yeah, install the team he wants. How important is that? It's it's the it's the most important. It's the most important thing that uh, for a senior coach to have the team around him. Whether he can build that in his first year or he, you know, it might be a it might be a two to three year staggered approach, depending on the people that he's had great experiences with in the past. Now, clearly, he's had a wonderful experience with with Todd Viney, and you know, by all reports, you know, very very good at his job when he was at Hawthorne. Um, and he stepped away from the AFL system from Melbourne a couple of years ago. So that was, you know, he's going, We, I want him back because I know he's going to be really good for my team. Um, that doesn't mean that Daniel McPherson wasn't good at his job, um, Sam. And I think we've got to reiterate this. There's mm. always people we talk about coming in, mm. but there's people that go out. That doesn't mean that they mightn't have been good at their job. It's just... Clarko wants his team and this is what he's experienced and bit by bit he's going to try to piece it together and because um, it is the most important thing. As Dermot said, if Todd Viney is going to report to the North Melbourne board every month, he knows that he's got Clarko's back and he's reporting and he's not going to buckle if they're 1-10 and 10 on what they are trying to achieve year by year. Great points. Well made. The All-Australian chat. I think it's the greatest debate that gets held every single year. And the greatest thing about it is no one's actually right. No one's actually wrong. We'll get stuck into it on the other side of this on Crunch Time. You're listening to the award-winning Crunch Time. I'd love to have your company on Crunch Time. It's all for Isuzu Ute at Werribee. They make buying cars easy. We've got to do our rev up in just a moment. We'll have a look at some of the teams and how we believe they've performed this year uh, on the way out the door as well. But the All-Australian team, uh, is there any better debate every year about who got in, who didn't get in, the captain, do you pick players in their position? There, there is always great fodder in all of this. Um, do you love All-Australian time of the year, gents? Oh, look, it's, uh, you summed it up, Sam. I mean, 
It's uh, it's for lunatics like us, so we can discuss it for an hour. It's now, pure isn't footy it? nuffy um, territory, isn't it? <laughs> let's be totally honest. I mean, it's it's a wonderful recognition, and the awards on the Wednesday night were done really, really well. And um, you know, it's 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 the end of the year, and it's a pinnacle for players that have been rewarded for fantastic years. Now, clearly, seventy or eighty players, or however we think about our own teams, because there's eighteen teams and supporters for eighteen clubs are not going to go into 22. And, um, you know, I heard that there was talk about a second Australian team just to try to switch, put a, you know, fit another 22 players yeah, in. Yeah, the twos. Which, which I don't agree <laughs> on. And I think it's that's what we talk about. And there's always going to be some hard luck stories. Um, but for every hard luck story, what you're saying is that one of those players that are named in that 22 has to come out. Mm. Like a hard luck story for me is Sicily. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's hard, but then I'm going, okay, who am we moving out? I'm not moving yeah. Sam Taylor out. Stephen May's done this and Tom Stewart. And so then the debate starts. So um, great talking point. I'm a bit scarred on the All-Australia stuff. You made it in 85. You're a one-timer. Yeah, and, and I would go through my career and thought it probably should have been four, maybe five. But yes. in my days, in my day, you had to play two good state-of-origin games because ah. it was all determined on the state of yes. origin, how you performed in those two games. Even though the VFL was the elite competition, mm. it was all about your season. And I thought I probably had four, maybe five seasons that warranted it. Yeah, a couple um, of good ones. But back in those <laughs> days, uh, and we used to turn up, and the last thing our coach, Alan Jeans, would say to us on the on the uh, uh, the last time he saw you before a state of origin game, he'd say, "If you find a reason, son, pull out, will you?" <laughs> and just actually pull out of the game. He didn't oh, mean it. It contest. breaks my heart when I so hear that. It we, breaks my heart. We, yeah, we'd call in. Say, oh, I can't make it. I've got torn shorts. That was the big one we used to always come up with for torn a, a laugh. You know that we were incapable of playing. No wonder rugby league thinks it's tougher than us. You know. <laughs> so we. So, but besides that. I've got my head around the fact it's an opinion base. Mm. Now, I know it's the, the collusion of several esteemed gentlemen oh, yeah. who make, and, and, and ladies who is, – is there a lady on the panel? I think there has been. There has been. I don't think there yeah. is this year. Um, and it is their opinion, the, the collusion of that of their opinions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do we go with statistics? Do we go with effect on the game? Do we go with enough games played? Isn't with that, that the beauty? Effect? Isn't that the beauty of it that some are on that, and then some others like a Braden Maynard is really a feel thing. That's what I hate. There's yeah. a hodgepodge of it. Yeah. Do we go with the best twenty-two players to In be position. selected, which yeah. would suggest? Why we have just fit a square peg into a round hole with Christian Petrarca on the half forward flank. As I said, he's run over that spot a few times and he might have kicked goals from that spot when he's run with the ball playing as a midfielder. So mm. can we give him the half forward flank? So the numbers argument you can use to justify that because of his number one, I think, goal assist, score involvements, his top because couple inside 50s. Because he runs yeah, as so, a midfielder. Yeah. And Neil Pullen <laughs> runs up to the contest and takes his spot for 60 seconds <laughs> and a, he runs forward and Kane gets a It's a Kane Lambert it's syndrome. Not, it's yeah. not, he's not playing as a half forward flanker. Get your head around it. And then And then... What if we were playing Russia or China or the USA well, that's all that and we good want years. to pick the best 22? Yep. Mm. Is that the All-Australian team or is it statistically driven or is it 
the best season had in each position. We've got a hodgepodge of it. Leon, I, there, I just don't know what the answer is. There were some great stories, though, to make it. And there, I think there was 12 first-timers, which is always really special. Should have been 13. For their, with, Boy, Dacos took me a few rounds to get on board. Yeah, with the All-Star squad of 44. Uh, what was the what, – what went – and obviously, actually, I'll, I'll let you – I won't let you say Sam Taylor, Leon, because I know how special that would be for you personally. Uh, but please feel free to speak on that and, and what his development has been and what you've seen in the growth of him. So why don't you have a chat about him, but also to the, the, the other great story to come out of the All-Australian, whether it be Tyson Stengel or throw up your nominations of the one that you really liked. Oh, look, I think the Stengel one. I mean, clearly I'm going to be biased towards Sam Taylor. I mean, seeing, you know, firsthand, mm. superstar young kid, and, and you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be his last All-Australian Guernsey. Um, I think the Stengel one, uh, and it's probably been covered all throughout the week, is that... It's just a wonderful story. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sam. He 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 was at Richmond, then went to Adelaide, and now to Geelong. Yeah, he was at Richmond. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, for him to do what he's done, he's just absolutely first class. He's not only it, it should be actually an all Australian for Tyson Stengel for turning his life around. Yeah. Now I, I'm not saying that because I don't I don't know what his life was like. But I'm only reading between the lines to say, well, mm. at Adelaide things weren't working out and he couldn't get himself in the right position to play the footy that we're seeing him play right now. Now, credit must go to the Geelong Footy Club and Scotty and Eddie Betts yeah. and all the coaching staff and whoever is down there that have had um, a major play in in how Tyson is living his life now because – He's just done an um, unbelievable job to to step up the plate and play that really hard small forward role and kick the goals that he uh, has kicked this year. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes in the final series. Yeah, especially forward. Yeah. Mm. Why, why, yeah. Why, why couldn't we get another midfielder in that pocket? <laughs> it's a great. I think. I think, uh, Sam. I mean, I know that there's a story for it. I mean, looking at the 22, you go. Mm. The always the debate is, oh, Sicily missed out. Where's Charlie Cameron? Why didn't Sam Doherty play? Paddy McCartan. Un- unbelievable story. So there's always Charlie Cameron. Yep. But you, but you, but you will come back and say, who are we taking out? Like, yeah. Have a the, the Charlie Kerno story. I think is underestimated. He's won the Coleman. He's been out of footy for so long, mm. and this is his first real year back. And you know as well as I do, Derm, how hard key position forward is. It is the hardest position on the ground. And this kid has been missing for two years through no fault of his own. It's just been through injuries. And he comes and produces that sort of footy for most of the year. Yeah. I, I think that's a wonderful story too. Yeah, it's ex- extraordinary. Uh, yeah, And I've heard yeah, we come in with, with the two Andys on, on Thursday afternoons and there's people call in and, and say, yeah, oh, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been in for this reason or that reason. He stuffed up in the last game and that. What he's done has been enormous. The kid's a star. Absolutely and he'll star. learn. And he'll learn from... You know, people are going to break the game down to its nth degree, and he'll learn from playing on in that game against Collingwood. Um, he'll learn that he'll add that footy feel to his um, his uh, his makeup at the moment by just playing more games. And I think we've actually got to come back. He's missing fifty games that he hasn't been yeah. able to learn or put that into play in tight scenarios. So. 
We love the way he plays because he plays on that instinctive nature, which clearly supporters love and, and the freakish athlete that he is. So Carlton supporters, uh, you know, I know they're disappointed by not playing finals footy, but uh, they have got a very special young man there. So he's up around the high 70s, 80 game mark, I think. Yeah, so he should be around the 120, 130 mark. But he's actually playing the footy of a player that has 120 to 150 games experience. The um, the awards night itself. Oh, sorry, we haven't asked you about. So the other great story I think is Mark Blixarves because that is recognition of a great season in a multitude of roles. Uh, he's rucked at times. He's tagged at times. He's been so a defender at times. So he specifically picked for that the role. Bench. The bench. He specifically <laughs> picked for the bench. The greatest bench player I think selection in all Australian history. Does the captain have to be a captain? Well. It, it seems to me that your captain is now coming from the most mature bracket of this team on the highest placed team on the ladder that he's representing. And he's the Cats and he's the most mature. He's in that most mature bracket because Max hasn't done anything wrong and he was captain no. last year. No, so, I think it's, damn, I think it's a classic case of like what we're debating. There's so many different angles you can go down of how you pick this. I, th- I think no one can begrudge that Tom Hawkins is the captain of the All-Australian team because of what he's done at AFL level. But then the debate on the other side is, well, he doesn't captain his own footy club. Max Gorn should be captain because Max has not done anything wrong. He's probably had just as good a year as this year as what he had last year. So, But, again, we could stay on air till this time next week, Sam, and then it means mm. you wouldn't have to go home and change nappies. <laughs> so. So, so the debate for me on that is, yes, he's done nothing wrong and no one can complain about him being the captain, except for that they had an incumbent and he's done nothing wrong. Mm. So and he was named All-Australian again for, his, for the sixth time, Hawkins five times. This is the celebration of the feel-good season. <laughs> no one's to walk away without their, their award. Um, if you've got an incumbent, I tend to go with the incumbent if they've done nothing wrong and they've had just as good a season. Yeah, I don't think there's any lose. Well, there is a loser, Max Gorn. In it. <laughs> a great recognition for Tom Hawkins. Leon, yep. do you buy into captain has to be captain, or are you along the similar lines of Derm, where you say, well, yeah, if you were captain last year and you're back in the side this year and you are the reigning premiership captain as well, well, that all adds up to you being captain again. Oh, look, it, it, it probably does because of what's happened. But, uh, I mean... I'm an unashamedly Tom Hawkins fan. I just love the way oh, he goes. Again, the key, the key forward's role is so hard to play. He gets people jumping on his head every week. And I, I know it's probably a feel-good decision, Derm, but it feels good to me, if you know what I mean. My, <laughs> yeah, my opinion, you're asking my us, opinion, it feels, it feels good and right for me. None Fourth of us time. are going to lose sleep over it. No. The, 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 one, the one that I – this whole season, I have a laugh about it, and I love being the oppositionist to it just for a bit of banter. I, I don't feel that strongly about it. But the one that makes me think, well, this is just all out of whack, was the boy Jai Newcomb got voted the best young player in the AFL. For the coaches. A coach by the coach. He didn't make the twenty, the under-22 team, yet he's the best young player in the AFL. And that's based off the coaches' votes. So he got the most coaches' votes through the year in so the regular right? season. Well, I would have had him in, but there's a bit of bias from me. How can you not have a player who the coaches say is the best young player in the the comp? I think the 22 came out before the coaches. Um, uh, Congratulations, Nick Dacos, who was the player's young player of the year, the, uh, the rising star.
um, a phenomenal first year in the game. It uh, looks completely at ease. The other winners, the coach association split between Tuke Miller and Clayton Oliver. That was lovely. There was a photo that went up about them, I think, playing for Vic Metro in maybe under-13s or under-15s yeah, wow. together, yeah. both with big curly hair. They, they both had the same haircut. Um, so that was a special moment for them, two in a row for Clayton Oliver. Um, the, the players' MVP, Andrew Brayshaw, who's had a f- taken his game to a whole new level, models himself on, obviously, Monday and, and Fife where he is, but Took Miller, he said, for hard running, um, at cover the ground. He was voted the most valuable player by the players. Yeah, wow. How did that grab you? Oh, I think probably if when a player sits down at the end of the year and they go, how are we judging this? Um, he actually does 99% things right. He's the ultimate two-way runner. So when you're talking about understanding play, he's the ultimate two-way runner. He doesn't play the hardest position. You know, the keys are the hardest position. The ultimate two-way runner, the ultimate leader, is very, very, uh, you know, got great leadership potential. He's probably going to be the next captain of the Fremantle footy club, Mm. looking from afar. Um, He's... Demeanour and the way he competes every weekend is absolutely first class. And on top of that, his probably statistics add up to be one of the top line on ballers. So I think everyone probably looked at him and go, well, there's not much wrong with Andrew Brayshaw, so this is why we tick. Now, in terms of if you had to judge the hardest position and put that in your MVP, and we talk about Brownlows and why doesn't Forge win Brownlows or key backs, because the mids are in front of the umpires a lot more. Um I probably, I actually thought that it was going to be called out as Jeremy Cameron. I thought he would have been the MVP just on my feel of the season that he's had and the position he plays. Yeah, Tom Hawkins, I, I thought again, just for what everything that he covers comprehensively inside that forward line, tackles inside 50, goal assists, mm. score involvements, marks inside 50, and the amount of goals that he kicks for the year as well. Just in a word, did you have someone who you thought for their season, was the most valuable player to their team and to their team's performance? Because we've got to get to a break. You're actually asking somebody who didn't follow it all that closely. <laughs> I followed the games. <laughs> ah, look, yes. Yeah. I, I, I thought um, Jeremy Cameron mm. gave the Cats a big leg up into yeah. being the team that they were finishing two games clear. Uh, so the games today, thanks to Dometic, go on your next adventure, Dometic.com. North Melbourne and the Suns in the AFLW, 110 Blunston Arena, uh, Mineral Resources Park where you'll find the Eagles and Port Adelaide. Sydney in their first game in the AFLW against the Saints at North Sydney Oval at 5.10. And tonight at Marvel Stadium, Essendon and Hawthorne, you'll hear that game and the Sydney and St Kilda game uh, on AFL Nation. So make Have sure you crack. jump on the SEN app. Uh, the Beck Goddard saying she's bringing a bag of sand to that one. <laughs> we'll be back with the rev up on the other side of this on Crunch Time. Good on it. You're listening to the award-winning Crunch Time. Who needs a rev up? For Harley Heaven, the Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. So for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, the rev up this week, I've got one to throw at you in more of a positive nature. Who's you? You're looking at me. Uh, Dermot Leon. and Leon. Dermot Burton, Leon Cameron here on okay. Crunch Time. Um, just get the formatics. You're right, Derm. Uh, do all the housekeeping as you come back from an ad break. Radio 101 mm. stuff. Um I'm going to set you a challenge uh, with no notice. I want you to tell me what the game of the year has been. And the uh, one rule is 
that given Collingwood had I think, eleven, uh, nine wins since round eleven in single digits, and eight wins since round thirteen, overcoming a deficit, your one rule is you can't nominate a Collingwood game. <laughs> so give me the game of the year that wasn't a Collingwood game because they'd sweep that they would be every nominee just about for the year. Yeah, they they, they are. Aren't so it's they? too easy to pick a Collingwood yeah. game. Even last week, the most recent oh, was phenomenal. The second the half week before that, uh, they were very good against Sydney. Yep. The week before that, they were fantastic. So you yeah, would go yep. on and on with Collingwood games. I love the fact that you're not, not the two best teams in the comp this season, but in the showdown in round three, I love the fact that even with the kick after the siren, you only knew the result when the kick was about 80% on its journey. Yep. Because for the first 80%, you thought, uh, oh, he's missing. He's going wide. Jordan Dawson kicking from the near pocket, the left-hand side of the uh, of, of the screen. And then it just bent late. Oh, I just thought for sheer wonderment, how, the, how did that team win? Mm. That one had me on the edge of my seat. Leon? I got to, yeah, well, I've got two. Sammy, no Collingwood here because of, we know what they've <laughs> That's the done. rule. The, the round 11 game, Sydney v Richmond, uh, when the siren went and the Warner kick into the crowd. Oh, that's a oh, great nomination. The 31-point uh, comeback. That was the comeback from the Swans, and then all of a sudden you, you looked at Jack Rewalt looking at the umpire, pleading at the umpire, saying, well, is a free kick. I think it was to Jack Graham, might have been, and there needs to be a 50 metres, and then clearly nothing happened. And then I think three weeks later... The Geelong-Richmond game, when Jack Henry took a mark, Richmond got in front, Jack Henry took a mark, went forward, took the mark and kicked the goal with about a minute to go and uh, Geelong mm. slewed by three points. So they, those are the two that probably stand out for me. Yeah, I, mine, there's a little bit of bias in mine, but I, I think Easter Monday, Hawthorne and Geelong, when Hawthorne came back from four goals down, was a yeah. that was a great game nah, on, on a big stage. The, we can beat the we can beat the Cats, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And now, and just to look where those two teams have finished this year, <laughs> yeah. that, that's why it's been such a phenomenal season. Because yeah. on any and the, the line from any given Sunday, on any given Sunday, you can win or lose, yeah. and that has been this year to a T. We've got about two minutes left, so another rev up. For Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davison. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwood and Dandenong. We haven't had a chance to review the season of the teams that didn't make it, but if you were to pick one team to walk in to their season review and give them an almighty rev up for a season that didn't eventuate to what you thought it would, which is the team that you're giving the rev up to? You want to go, Leon, or me? Uh, well, you go first, Tim. Port, <laughs> Port Adelaide. Yeah, I think yeah, I mean, there's plenty of teams like... Essendon and whatever, but Port Adelaide lost five in a row at the start and then they won eight of their next 11 and then fell apart again when they realised it was going to be too much of a journey. Um, but losing five at the start, they had a couple of injuries, you know, some some key personnel, but nothing too extravagant. They just never got out of the block. So, yeah, they, they underperformed this year. Leon? Well, it's a hard one. I'm, I'm probably, the reason why I'm talking to you guys is the reason why I don't have a job, Sam. It's probably the Giants. We, we underperformed. <laughs> oh, the, I didn't mean the, for you to throw yourself. First, <laughs> in the first nine weeks, I'm throwing myself under the bus. I think we were two and seven, and we didn't we didn't recover from that. And um, and that was a tough one. And, uh, you know, you can always look at injuries and 
and form and whatever. It doesn't matter. At the end result, we're in the win-loss business and we get judged that way. And, um, you know, it was a hard uh, hard to come back from that uh, from that start. And, and Toby's absence... Mm. At the at the initial outset, given that the the CEO of the AFL didn't like the decision that was handed down late last year, and then mm. he decided to exert a bit of executive influence and said, "No, go back and have another crack," to a, an independent, a so-called independent jury, who then said, "Well, the the CEO didn't like it, so we'll double that and give him six now," and that extended way into the start of this season. That hurt you guys. We'll give a Don't rev start up. me, Derm. Don't we'll, start me. We'll give a rev up too for the uh, the thieves that stole Mason Cox's glasses, his prescription glasses. That he needs to play on the Eva Finals. I think that's pretty oh, darn really? cheap, and that deserves a rev up. You absolute cretins. Uh, so good luck to everyone for next week. Good luck to the VFL Finals, the AFLW season as well. Thanks, guys. It's been an Cheers. absolute pleasure. Well done, Cheers, Dan. Well done, Sam. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.